I've been reminded this week that uh, a lot happens in a week, <laughs> and, uh, and a lot can happen in a week. Um, last Sunday, we gathered here and worshiped, and then we met And last Sunday afternoon, and then some were able to make their way over to... Uh, Make their way over to Islands, and as we were there, we got a call about Janice's mother. Uh, she had had a stroke um, and uh, never regained consciousness, and then passed away Wednesday. And so, on one day we were, one Sunday we received news, and the next Sunday we will, uh, which will be today, we will uh, uh, commit her and her body to the Lord. I want to thank you for the way you've prayed and uh, your texts and calls and uh, your gifts of kindness. Um, we're grateful for that. And uh, just thank you for being our church family and, and loving us the way you do. Uh, Janice just didn't feel like that she could muster up enough to come, not that she didn't want to worship today. She just is full and, um, uh, and we'll have to go through uh, this afternoon. I uh, was texting her, uh, her family uh, this morning, my family, her family, uh, early this morning as I was praying for them, just knowing that today will be particularly difficult. Um, but we are not somber here now, nor should we be. Uh, we uh, are rejoicing and we are grateful to the Lord to be able to come. Uh, I'd take your worship guides just a minute before we begin and I want to make mention of a few things uh, that I want you to hold on to as we approach the text today. Uh, 118th Psalm, uh, a picture, as Adam said, of the goodness of God and His glory and the way that He works uh, in the midst of a really, really difficult world. Uh, and these very things are being echoed when we get to 1 Peter because remember, Peter is writing to those who have been sovereignly chosen, sovereignly called, who are sovereignly strangers and they are, they are they're, they're sovereignly scattered and they're sovereignly suffering and they are experiencing the world in, in all of its challenges and all of its difficulties uh, and just hearing in that psalm over and over again of these challenges that are coming up, but the psalmist points back to the Lord. And that's what Peter is encouraging his uh, audience to do, uh, those that he is writing to, and that's what we are being called to do. And he begins, and we saw this, uh, for the last several weeks, we have seen this for the last several weeks, he begins with pointing them to who they are in Christ. And one of the first pictures that he paints is the fact that they are children of God, that God is their Father. Remember, he tells them to, that this is, the, this is the God and Father of Christ. Therefore, he is pointing them uh, to their need to see God as God and sovereign but they need to see him also as father, which 
uh, he talks to them in terms of his children and talks about them in terms of the children of God. And as we had an opportunity to look at our confession, we saw that again today, that we are children of God, and it has implications. And Peter has said, we are children of God, and it has certain implications. And that we are children of God, and that everything that God is doing in and through and for us has been accomplished by the one that he continues to point us to, and that is Christ, who did what? And our assurance of pardon, we heard that he went outside of the gates, went outside of the city, and there he bled and died so that we would be sanctified, so that we would be saved. Uh, and it's huge when we begin to see this picture, and Peter is pointing to this in, in, in every way. And we'll look today, and uh, as we sang that last course just a moment ago, uh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. That was our response to all of these things that, that, the, that we were leading to is that there is an acknowledgement on our part that God has set us apart. God has set believers apart. And that's what Peter's saying. You have been set apart. And we'll see that today. And so already we have prayed uh, in that song, prepare us to be a sanctuary. Uh, tried where? In the midst of this world. Made true because of what Christ has done in sustaining us and holding us up. And then what do we do? We just pour out words of praise and thanksgiving to God uh, and, and say, do this in me. And I hope that that is uh, your prayer. Uh, it was certainly intended for it to be our prayer uh, today as we give consideration to our text. So if you have your Bibles, if you will, or copies of Scripture, uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to try to get through verses 4 through 10 today. If we don't, I'll push Paul somewhere and, and we'll come back to it. Um, I just kept reading this text and writing and writing and writing and writing things down that came to mind. Um, I reached out to my good friend Mark Powell. Uh, and they worked through First Peter a couple of years ago and I said, send me the best thing you have on this text. He texted me back. He said, I didn't preach that Sunday. <laughs> One of their other pastors preached that Sunday. He said, do you want that? I said, no, I wanted what you had. Uh, but I just kept writing things, and this, this text just is so full. Uh, we could spend weeks. Uh, we will have a few minutes here and maybe a few minutes next week. But I want us to back up and begin reading in verse 3. And it's the last part, actually verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that was the response coming out of put away these things and like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Will you pray with me? Father, uh, would you uh, help us in gleaning this great field of gold in this text. And that you would help us as we seek to hear you and to know you and to come to you and to come to Christ because you are good. And Father, if there's anyone here today that has not seen your goodness, has not tasted you in that way, Father, would you awaken them to your goodness and the sweetness of your taste and cause them to long for you and to come to know you today. Father, for those of us who have become stale and cold, For those of us who have not tasted you in a while and have not seen your goodness and recognized your goodness, but we have known it, Father, would you reignite within us a flame and a passion and a desire to run to you, the one who is good and best and above all things. And help us, Father, to see your incredible goodness in Christ, the one that you have said is precious. Help us in this, in Christ's name. Amen. I'll give you a, a little bit of an outline for today. Uh, three words. Um, I'm not getting into the, the three-word thing, but it's just it's clear in this text. So I just want to go ahead and point it out, and that way we will see and we can follow along. Uh, I want us to look at the identity of the church, the identity of believers, the identity of the church. I want us to see uh, the purpose of the church, our identity, our purpose, and then I want us to see our foundation. Now, I will refer to those words but we're going to track through the text and see how these things are interrelated and connected and why Peter is stressing this at this time. Okay? Now he's leaving for a moment. He's leaving for a moment the idea of family. It doesn't mean that family goes away. It doesn't even mean that what we're getting ready to say supersedes or even precedes family. He was helping 
as we are reminded, if you'll turn back over there to chapter 1, in verse 1, to those who were elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He's stressing that. According to God the Father. The Father does what? A father has children. A father is a father by virtue of the fact that he has children. He's not a father if he doesn't have children. So he's pointing to that in the sanctification of the Spirit. I want you to catch that because through the course of today, we are going to continue to hear about that sanctifying work of God, the holiness of God, what it means to be holy, what it looks like, the outworkings of that holiness in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ. For the obedience of Jesus Christ. And uh, we have already looked in our assurance of pardon how that has come about by the sprinkling of His blood. In other words, the shedding of His blood to sanctify us. And then notice in verse 3 again, we hear, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is now turning our attention to uh, the church and he is pointing to these uh, pointing to these people writing to these people reminding them that you are dispersed but you are all connected and the work by which flows out of this building this sanctuary this temple that is being built so let's track along here and look again if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good Last week we had an opportunity to turn back and, and give attention to uh, Psalm 34. I want to point you back there again. So if you will, just turn back there a minute. And I want us to hear that again and then see what happens when we, if you will, taste and see that the Lord is good. In chapter 34 of Psalm, and you may want to you may want to jot this down and bracket this out if you're writing uh, if you write in your Bibles. Uh, but verses one through three, there is a profession. In other words, there's a there's a confession about who God is. The psalmist then, from four to seven, begins to talk about his own personal experience. In other words, we profess these things, and we experiencing we experience these things that we profess. So the things about God that are true are experienced by those who know God. Okay? Would you hear that again? The things that we profess about God, that He tells us about Himself, that we in turn confess and state these things are true, those are true because God has given them, but He also makes sure that we experience those things. And, and, we talk, and the psalmist talks about the experience. He said, I sought the Lord, and He answered me. Why? Because He's there. He's real. He's Yahweh. He was called upon, therefore He answered. And then verses 8 through 10, there's an exhortation, and this is, this is what we want to see. The psalmist then says, O taste and see that the Lord is good, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. In other words, there's an exhortation to taste and see that the Lord is good. Run to him. Get a hold of him. Look at him. Gaze upon him. Experience him. And then you will know how good he is because he is going to do good 
to those who seek him because they, if they're seeking him, it's because he has touched them, he has caused them to see his goodness, and they long for it and they love it. Then look over in verse 17, there's kind of instruction and teaching comes out of this. But in verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Now, I want you to see this in the context of these people, us, and Peter's audience, who are sovereignly set apart, sovereignly scattered, sovereign strangers, sovereignly suffering. How are they to make it through? How are they to make it through? Well, they look to God who is their refuge, and it says, and when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. We just sang about that just a moment ago. Hope you picked up on that. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And then in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So in other words, they're, they're not isolated from suffering. This is what we've said. They're sovereignly chosen to suffer. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them. Ultimately will be delivered out of all of the afflictions. Why? Because it is God's intent to save. They are kept. They are made whole. And once he has his hands on you, once he has his hands on me, he is not going to let us go, nor is he going to let anything destroy us for eternity. That's the whole point of that. And that is what Peter has been communicating along the way. Now go back over to 1 Peter. We've looked at that and seen that. Taste and see. So back up in verse 3 of chapter 2. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, we, we see that He is good. And then look at the very first phrase of verse 4. I got here and I just kind of camped out. I couldn't get away from this. As you come to Him. In other words... As you come to him, what is he saying? He said, you've tasted and see that the Lord is good and then you come to him and then you just keep coming to him because he is that good. He is that good. And now Peter takes this and he says, as you come to him, come to who? You come to Christ Jesus. Come to Christ Jesus. And now he begins to give us Jesus' identity so that he can in turn tell them who they are and what their identity is. I, I, I wrote this down whenever I was reading this text. The status of Christ establishes the status of believers. The status of Christ establishes the status of believers. And, and, and there's parallel language here. Look at what he says. That Christ is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God is chosen and precious. So he is, a, he is this living stone that men reject, hate, and despise. We won't go back and look at it, but I would encourage you to go back this afternoon if you're thinking through this text again and read Isaiah 53, and we hear this repeated over again in Isaiah 53. But he is rejected. He is this stone who is rejected, but in the sight of God, he's chosen and precious. In other words, in the sight of God, 
God looks at this living stone, looks at Christ and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the one that shows you who I am. This is the one that is the perfect representation of the glory of God, the image of the invisible God. This is him. He is precious. The Lord Yahweh is good. This is my son and he is Yahweh. He is good. He is precious. You hear that? Now, that's Christ's identity. That's Christ's identity. Now notice what he says. You yourselves are like what? You are like living stones. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. So we see that our identity, He is the living stone and we are living stones because He has been given to us and we have been given to Him. Remember John's Gospel? Whenever Jesus said that you have given these to me and I have lost none, I will lose none, you won't let them go, I won't let them go. Peter is being reminded of this picture of not being let go. Not only that, they, the people that Peter's writing to, the believers that are scattered, that see themselves as scattered, who are suffering, he just reminds them, you are a living stone by virtue of the fact that you are connected to the living stone. He was rejected. You are suffering. He's the stone. You are living stones being put together and formed together for this whole thing of worship. When I... I kept going back to verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. When we taste that God is good, what do we want to do? We want to worship Him. We want to worship Him. What was the point of the temple? What was the point of the, the priesthood? What was the point of the tabernacle? It's where the people came to worship God. And Peter is pointing now and saying they are not going to a temple. They are not going to a tabernacle. And by virtue of, they are not going to the building at the Y or the building at Cornerstone or wherever it is. That's not where they're going to find God. That is not the temple. That is not the place they'll find God. God resides in the believers. And we are being built up individually, and there's a, there's a broader sense here, corporately as a church, is a place in our hearts where the Spirit of God dwells and lives. And that necessarily means that in that, He is in us, we taste Him, we see Him, we experience Him, and the outcome of that is a desire to worship Him. And we're going to hear some more about this in just a minute when we begin to look at these spiritual sacrifices. But the point that Peter is making is that 
Christ's identity is, is that He is this living stone and He has been rejected. Not by all, but He has been rejected by a large, everyone has hated Him, everyone is at enmity with Him at some point in time from their birth until they come to know Him. They are against Him and many of them reject Him for their whole lives and yet God has said, you are you are cursing him and damning him. I am saying that he is precious. And if he's precious to God, the Father, then it would stand to reason that he should be precious to us. He should be precious to us. That we should see the value in him that the Father sees in him. And that in that we would see the value of God and His goodness and long to come to Him. Let's look on a little bit farther. He says, you are like living stones. Words, you're alive. God is giving you a life. A stone, stone doesn't have life. These stones have lives. We are living. And we are being meshed together and being built up, he's using this, this imagery of the temple and, and the priesthood to be a holy priesthood. And if you'll look down in verse 9, we'll hear that repeated again, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We'll come back there, go back there in just a minute, but, but look at, he's it's, all of this is being built on. Living stones being built up as a spiritual house to do what? It says to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. What's he talking about? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, if you will turn there, we want to begin there. Colossians 3, 17. In fact, let's back up and look at verse 12 through 17, and we will see the connection, how Paul is writing to the church at Colossae in, 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 a, same, in a similar manner as Peter is, is writing to these people who are dispersed. He said, put on then as God's what chosen ones, won't get away from that, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, okay? Chosen ones who are holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These were the positives of the negatives that we looked at last week that were stated in, in negative terms in Peter, bearing with one another, going back to loving each other, bearing with one another, loving each other. Uh, uh, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord uh, has forgiven you so that you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay? Just we, we heard that last week. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. We're talking about these living stones now coming together in one body. 
Paul talks about it in terms of body. Peter talks about it in terms of a, a, a sanctuary, a building, a temple, a spiritual house. Okay? And then he said in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What's, what's the point there? Is that the spiritual sacrifices ultimately is everything we do provided that when we are doing these, that they are spiritual and we see ourselves as doing these things for God. In other words, we see ourselves in living out our lives before God, consciously aware that we are seeking to please Him. Why? Because He is precious and He's good. We're seeking to worship Him. Why? Because we have tasted Him and we know that He's good and we know that everything in our life is coming from Him and should be channeled back to Him in praise and in adoration and in worship. That's, that's the point. That's the point. Now turn over to Romans chapter 12. We'll see how that fleshes out in some more specific ways. Romans chapter 12. Look in verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship. In other words, there... What we, are, what we are doing with our bodies, how we care for our bodies, what we do through our bodies, all of those things pointing to Him in, in, in consciously recognizing that all of this is to be given to God. Why? Because we understand that it's the, and it's an incredible thing to think about. Incredible to think about that the Spirit of God dwells inside of your, of, of, of your body. It's not like an agent in your bloodstream. The Spirit of God, I, I was thinking this week and, and just and was thinking what a friend of mine through this and considering Miss Elizabeth. She never regained consciousness from the time she had her stroke until she passed away on Wednesday. Her soul was still residing in her body. I don't know how God was relating to her soul. I don't know what her soul was experiencing. But God has fashioned us as He did with Adam uh, and, he did, and He did with Eve and has been carried on that when He breathed into them the breath of life, they became, uh, in Hebrew, a living nephesh, a living being. And it is not until that physical body doesn't breathe anymore, that that soul departs and is away. As Paul talks about it, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for a believer. But I was thinking, how is God relating to the soul in that time when she was not able to relate and I, I don't even know if she knew she was in the world or not. 
And, and that wouldn't be just true of her. It could be true with anyone who was incapacitated in that way. But just thinking about that for just a minute and to know as a believer that the Spirit of God still rested there with her in that, in that, in that, in that kind of dormant state. Just as he, is, he, doesn't, he doesn't vacate us at night when we go to sleep. He's still with us. And it is supernatural work, but it is a real work. It's a real work because Jesus told his disciples that he is going to be in you. Somebody with you, but in you. You can be with me, but you can't be in me. The Spirit of God is in the life of the believer. And that's huge, pointing us and showing us again just how precious and good God is. It's incredible. But here we recognize that as we look there, that this it affects our bodies in the way that we offer our bodies consciously to God in spiritual worship. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Another piece of how we offer these spiritual sacrifices. Look in verse 18. Notice what Paul says. He's closing a letter that he's written to the church at Philippi. He said, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So, we, we, we have in that an understanding that our spiritual sacrifices are the gifts that we give for the, the, the propagation of the gospel, for ministry, for missions, provided that in giving those things, we are coming to God realizing, God, you've given me this, I'm giving this to you and to your work because I love you, because you are more precious than anything. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment in the context of our own stewardship. You know, oftentimes we, we, and we, we talk about, we, we invest in, we give to uh, the, the things that, we, that are important to us. So if our own personal pleasures are important to us, then that's going to get the lion's share of of, of, of what we of, of, of what comes in uh, if if our if our security uh, is found and seen or understood as being in our bank accounts and those things then we're going to give the lion's share to that we're saying that is precious that is good we can't look at God and say that God is precious and good above all things and then in turn, act as if he's not. So even in our stewardship, I want you to think about that for just a moment. And Paul said, you've supplied me well. You have taken care of me. He's talking to the, to, about the offerings that he had received to keep him going and to keep him functioning in ministry to preach the gospel. And he says, and these are spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. 
Then look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. I want to see this because I want us to get our hands around what Peter is trying to tell them in these, in these spiritual sacrifices that, that flow out of this spiritual house that's being built Verse 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such what? Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. They're pleasing to God. They bring praise and honor and glory to God. So now let's go back and look at what we just said. We taste and see that He's good. We just come to Him, Christ, this living stone who has in turn now made us living stones that are being built together into this spiritual house. In other words, into, into this display of the glory of God into a holy priesthood to do what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through who? Through Christ. So we are coming to Him. He is at work in us. And now we are giving back and offering back through Him. And, and as we remember from our study of Hebrews, we do so because He is interceding on our behalf. But see how God is at work here. Now, this idea of a stone is not a new thing. Turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Look at chapter 2, Daniel 2. And remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. He has called all of his wise men and all of those people together, and he said, I want you to tell me the dream, and I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me what the dream was. I said, well, you tell us what the dream is, and we'll tell you the interpretation of the dream. He said, no, nope, not going to work that way. Uh, if, if you're as good as you're supposed to be, you'll tell me what dream I had, and then you'll tell me what it means. Uh, and if you, I, I can't imagine, Daniel only just said, well, let's pray, and, and, and God gave him, but God gave him the answer. But look, if you will, uh, there in verse 12. Uh, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed because they couldn't, you know, they just said we can't do this. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and it came to Daniel and his companions to kill them, because they were part of this elite group, okay, and educated, um, had proven themselves, 
And then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, uh, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time uh, that he might show uh, the interpretation to the king. And uh, let's uh, see what he says. He prays, uh, and then, if you will, look in verse 31. He said, You saw, O king, behold a great image. And this image mighty uh, and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, uh, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Uh, as you looked, a stone, is what he said, look, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Daniel points ahead and he sees uh, this stone. And in Isaiah chapter 28, which is what Peter appeals to, he says uh, there in verse 6, points back to Isaiah 28:16. Remember, uh, Isaiah is prophesying. God is telling uh, uh, dispersed Israel at this time in Babylon that he is going to call them and he's going to bring them back in. And then he says this, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. He's already said, this is Christ, this is Him. Chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. In other words, whoever believes in Him wins every time. He's never going to be cast away. What we said earlier, God has chosen and sealed whoever believes in Christ is going to be a winner every time. Never lose. Can't lose. Now I'm not talking about can't lose in business or can't lose a ball game. I'm talking about losing in life where death is not a loss. It's a loss for those who are left behind, but for the believer, death is a gain intentionally so by God because he has destroyed sin and death. But notice what he says here. So he, he, he appeals to Isaiah and what God said there and said, so the honor, in other words, he is, he is he's precious, so the honor, that value, is for you who believe. Okay? So, in, in other words, he is glorious and precious. Uh, you are glorious and precious as you believe in him. That's how we are seen by God. And Peter is telling these people this. Why? Because he is wanting them to see the very thing that God has done for them in making them so valuable and so precious. But, okay, but, and would you catch that? Now he's getting ready to show the other side of things. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling. 
stone of stumbling. In other words, something that they are going to hit. And he's going to tell us what he means here. Because Peter takes this, because this comes from Isaiah 14 and, and, and Psalm 18, 118. We read it this morning in our call to worship. And then in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14, he says this same thing again. And Peter tells us what was meant by it. He says they stumble because they disobey the word. In other words, they deny and reject the word. They deny and they reject Christ. They deny and reject the good news. Back up at chapter verse 25 of chapter 1. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. They deny and reject that good news and the person who is that good news, Jesus Christ, this stone, this one that everything is built upon, this one that we are connected to as believers, they reject. And notice what he says. They disobey the word as they were destined to do. As they were destined to do. What is he saying? Well, you can't lose with Christ. And we absolutely will never gain a thing without Him. That is his point. I want to end there. Uh, I want us to see more than anything, and I want to more than anything, I want us to see how precious Christ is and how valuable He is to God. And then I want to want what God wants. And I want us to want what God wants. And I want us to appreciate what God appreciates. And I want us to love what God loves. That is our prayer. Look, if you will, at your worship, God. On page 11, no, I'm sorry, on page 10, He is building us to be a spiritual house, a sanctuary. We know that everything in the temple had to be purified. The priest had to be purified. Everything was had to be everything that was of significance coming to God in His presence had to be sprinkled with blood to be sanctified, to be set apart. We'll talk about the significance of that next week. And He has made us living stones. And I want you to look at the lyrics of "Lord, Prepare Me," and I want this to be our our prayer as we come to the table. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And Lord, we'll come to you and thank you. As you make us into this sanctuary, and I'll be a living sanctuary for you.
making a commitment. How can we do that? We can only do it because of the work that God has done for us in Christ. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ, I ask you again to consider the goodness of God and how precious He is. For those who are believers, I want to encourage you to look back at Him and don't lose sight of how good He is. The table points us to that. Christ's blood that He shed, the body that He gave, was unstained, holy, knew no sin. He embodied and housed and communicated in His life, in His living, in His presence, and all that He did, what it meant to love God as a human because he was in he was humanity to show us what that meant as we come to the table today and we believers uh, share in this family meal be reminded of the holiness of Christ knowing that it was only because he was who he was in his holiness that made it possible for His death and His resurrection to be our death and resurrection, sparing us from bearing the wrath of God, but even more than what we don't get in not having the wrath of God, we get God and get to taste Him and enjoy Him. Will you pray with me? Father, As we come to the table, would you cause us to see the beauty and the glory of Christ in remembering His death and even thinking ahead, Father, to the glorious work that you did in His resurrection in giving us life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you're a believer, you've trusted Christ, you've been baptized, And inasmuch as you know you're uh, in a place where you can come and partake of the table, meaning that you've worked hard and you've reconciled relationships that are broken, uh, you're not harboring any uh, unconfessed sin, um, and uh, we want to invite you, if you will, come to the table. I think most of us know how we'll do this. We'll stand, we'll come around, we'll receive our elements, we'll go back. Uh, to our seats and we'll partake of the elements together. I want to ask the deacon if you would, Tom, Henry, one of you to come and uh, if you will come to the table.